chance we're going to have a, uh, an event for our children, back to school events called um, Serve and Celebrate. And uh, what we wanted to do was uh, bring our students together for a time that they could do a service project. And what we've determined would be a good, uh, good project for them is to uh, provide some goodie bags for our transportation department. A, we're right next door to our transportation department here at FISD. And so uh, that makes sense. But also, um, we were thinking about, you know, blessing, um, uh, blessing students or, or, or faculty or, 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 or teachers and and uh, and what what we know is that's often an overlooked department you know like new teachers come in they get swag bags and 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 and, uh, and they get celebrated but uh, sometimes it's just like the uh, the transportation department uh, maintenance department janitorial department it's like they just they, they just grind on uh, day after day week after week and uh, it's kind of thankless a lot of times so we want to bless them and so we're going to start out with our transportation department and then throughout the year we're going to bless some other um, uh, some other uh, departments like our maintenance department and our um, janitorial department at our school district. So uh, if you want to uh, provide anything for that, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, you can do that uh, if you give checks or if you give online, just make a memo on your giving that just says, hey, this portion of this, I wanna um, put towards getting some goodie bags to um, bless, um, bless our uh, uh, transportation department. Uh, outside of that, our kids are going to have a really good time. Uh, we're going to have fun. We we want them to serve a little bit, and then we want them to uh, have fun. So we're going to have some activities here. We're going to feed them lunch, uh, probably like hot dogs, right? I mean, we're going to go big time. Uh, so we're going to do like hot dogs and uh, maybe maybe some hamburgers. I don't know, chicken nuggets maybe might be on the uh, the, the table as well. And so, uh, but uh, it's just going to be a good uh, fun event. Uh, we encourage you. It's not just for the children of Friendswood Baptist Church, but for uh, kids in our community as well. So. So, um, so if you if you um, uh, know anybody that you, you want to encourage to uh, be be part of it, uh, invite them, bring them along. Um, I sent out a registration form uh, through our email. Um, uh, don't think this. Don't think. Well, I didn't register my child, so they're not they can't go. We just want to get an idea of who's going to go. So if anybody actually does fill out the registration form, we can have a little bit of an idea. But I know the church that I'm dealing with, and I know that y'all don't fill out forms. So I'm not like really holding my breath that like everybody's going to run to the computer and uh, register that way. Um, uh, this morning, as uh, we do think about uh, not only our kids going back, we think about this back to school uh, event, but uh, this morning, this also kind of, uh, this whole season of kind of uh, summer coming to a close and, and, and school starting back, um, it kind of, it kind of leads me and shapes my, 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 my heart, my thoughts uh, for uh, where we are at uh, in our uh, new series, what we are entitling Much in the Mundane. And, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, uh, let's do this. Let's bow before our Lord one more time. And uh, let's just ask him, even if that, uh, as that uh, song was sung, uh, maybe there's something that God has done recently in your life that you just want to praise him for. And right now, I, wanna, I want you to offer that praise to him. Maybe there's something that you're still looking for him to do. You say, God, I know you've worked and I want to see you work again. I want you to offer that prayer. And then I think we can all offer the prayer of this. God did send his son and he promises to send his son again. And that's a prayer that we can all say, Lord, even so come. Lord Jesus, do it again. And so uh, I'm going to give you all a moment to pray, and then I'm going to pray over us.
Lord, I love you. And I thank you for who you are. I thank you for our time together today. Uh, God, I pray and I, I just thank you for the spirit that we get to experience uh, when we come together in this, in this space, Lord. Uh, Lord, I love uh, the brothers and sisters that we gather with and uh, uh, love the genuine, just the genuine nature that they bring and it's cultivated in this space, Lord. Uh, Lord, there's a real love that goes from one to another. There's a real thoughtfulness. There's a real uh, joy and celebration of one another. There's a real grief and sorrow with one another. Thank you for this congregation, Lord. Uh, God, we do uh, lift up those prayers, those, those praises that have been offered to you about things that you've done, uh, the prayers of what you will do, and then we all pray, Lord, as you have sent your son, Jesus, and as you have promised to send him again, even so. Send him, Lord. Until that time, we pray that as we gather, we will be a foretaste. That this gathering will be a foretaste of what it will be like on that day. And all the days thereafter. Lord, not only will our gatherings be a foretaste, but may our homes be a foretaste. May our lives be a foretaste. May we be the living witnesses as Christ's disciples, we are called to be the living embodiment of what that kingdom is. And so, Lord, I pray and I ask that uh, everything that we do here would prepare us, equip us, encourage us to continue being a foretaste of your son Jesus' return and the full establishment of his kingdom, the full revealing, if you will, of his kingdom. Uh, I pray uh, that uh, you would uh, attend to us in all the ways that we need attended to today for us to be what you've called us to be. I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. So, as I began to think about going back to school, and gladly I'm not going back to school, but, uh, but happily my children are going back to school, right? As I begin to think about this uh, this. This, this time, um, it, it, it's, it's a time in which we know that uh, students, teachers, uh, parents, and even grandparents are kind of getting back into uh, a, a more routine, regular schedule, right? Uh, uh, I know the grandparents in our, in our church are so active and involved in their kids' lives um, from everything from like watching them on a daily basis to helping uh, show further to different events and activities. Uh, um, and, and so, uh, so I, I know it affects everybody um, in, in our church, but I think even collectively as a culture, uh, this end of summer, this drawing on of the school year, uh, this coming of fall, it kind of gets us back into uh, some routines. Uh, even those people who didn't 
didn't do anything different this last few months. You, you worked your nine to five, just like you worked your nine to five the first few months. Um, there's, there's an air about summer that says carefree and fun and adventure. And, 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 it, and there's like, kind of like this, 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 this breath that says, oh, this is where life can be fully experienced and life can be fully lived. And, and so when we think about going back to, uh, you know, the, 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 the routines and the rhythms that we're kind of used to or maybe establishing some new routines and rhythms, uh, like with the return of a school year, with the end of summer, as it were, um, I believe that we experience that kind of differently, right? Um, I know that there's a lot of people who know within themselves that they function so much better whenever they have a schedule and a routine, right? You know that about yourself? You found that, uh, that, 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 uh, that the footloose and fancy free living uh, that, uh, that, that, that we also romanticize, you go, I don't, I don't really function well with that. Right, I don't eat well whenever I'm whenever I'm running here and there. Right, uh, usually I, I tend to if I'm running here and there and I don't have my, my meals planned out or I don't have my schedule of my meals planned out. I'm usually uh, not eating very regularly, and what I am eating is not always very nutritional. Right, uh, think about that sort of sense. Uh, some of us too, uh, we we find this that like uh, whenever you don't have a good schedule to follow, uh, th- th- there's a lot that you do, but a lot that you don't accomplish. Have y'all found that to be true? Uh, in fact, uh, uh, if you talk to most health professionals and uh, psychological uh, professionals as well, they will say that, uh, that uh, schedules, routines, discipline, order in our life, it is, it is holistically healthy for us. And they, they even would say to somebody who has a bipolar disorder or somebody who has ADHD, they, 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 they encourage them to, to, to make sure that they put... Uh, schedules and routines in place because that will help them function and accomplish things that will clear their mind and their heart. And there, there, there's, there's no question as to why this is. I mean, we have a God, as Paul tells us very clearly in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, who is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. And so it makes sense that our lives, whenever they are ordered, Whenever there's some regularity to our lives that, that you and I, we, we, we holistically can kind of function better. And so some of us, when we think about like the, 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 the summer, it was fun and it was a season and it was good to have, but I'm ready to be back to some order. Uh, we feel that. But then there's also this other feeling, this other experience that we have, which is It's all going to be the same, and it's all going to be boring, <laughs> and it's all going to just be blah, right? When you think about routine, and you think about disciplined order, you think about regular day in, day out, uh, it, you, you can get to this point to where you go, there's no real fun in that. There's no real life in that. There was a season for me whenever I was in college that I was actually... Um, because I was such an excellent student, I was going to two different universities. No, uh, because I was a really terrible student and I was trying to play catch up, I was doing some classes at Arlington Baptist College and at uh, Tarrant uh, County Junior College. And, um, and the Tarrant County Junior College was about 30 minutes 
from my dorm at Arlington Baptist College. And, and my schedule looked like this. On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I was at Arlington Baptist College, and my, uh, my classes started at 8 a.m., and then I went to class from like 8 to 10.30 to a couple of classes. And then I worked from 11 to 7. And then, um, and then I would have uh, uh, Monday evenings, um, I had a class uh, there at Arlington Baptist College. So it was a full day. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, I had to drive over to be at the class at Tarrant County Junior College. I had to be there at 7.30 in the morning. So I had to leave a bit earlier and get there at 7.30. I would have classes from 7.30 to about 10.30 or 10.45 and then drive to work and work from 11 to 7. And then uh, I think it was just on Tuesday nights, um, then I would drive to back to Tarrant County Junior College to have another night class. And um, so this was the semester. It was a full schedule semester, and it was one of those things that, um, that I needed to do. It was going to help shape and form me, and it was going to help me uh, get to the graduation line. Um, uh, not any quicker than I would have been there, but m more closely to on time than, than I would have, right? And so I got into the middle of the semester, and it was just a grind. And there was not a lot of fun uh, uh, activities that happened. And in the midst of the semester, I just remember kind of having this moment where I was like, man, like life just kind of seems blah right now. Like it just doesn't seem exciting. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, yeah, like all you're doing is responsibility stuff. And nobody likes to just do responsibility stuff. We like to do fun stuff. We like to do adventurous stuff. We like to, we like to have uh, some entertainment and some downtime and some free time. And that was the other thing that my life was so regimented. It was so tied to the schedule and, and, and it lived by the schedule that it felt kind of like constricting. And when we think about it, I think like a lot of us can kind of feel like like um, like Ariel from The Little Mermaid, she had this dream that like, like for her, like her fins were restricting her and she was not being able to experience the fullness of life. But if she had feet and she could live on land, then she could be up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. Wish I could be part of that world is what she wanted, right? And th there's this romanticized idea that we all have that even though we know we function well under order, order and discipline and routine, it kind of sounds like the worst to us. It kind of seems icky at times. And, and, and with that, it might even feel like that's not where real life is lived, where life is fully experienced. Maybe some of you are mature enough to, to have cut through that lie. Maybe some of you find yourselves knowing that it's a lie, but still swept up by it so often. Still, still enticed by it so often. Maybe some of you still believe that the truth is that life is lived in the, in the, in the adventurous moments and the little mundane bits of life are kind of the stuff that you want to you breeze by. So the question is then, well, actually, the reality is then is this. Because we have this kind of naturally within us, this idea to, to long for big moments, carefree moments, like untethered moments, 
where we can be spontaneous and we can go do whatever we want. Can you imagine we can do whatever we want? Have you ever been in a time where you could do whatever you want and then you go, well, what do you want to do? And then they go, I don't know, what do you want to do, right? You're like, we can do whatever we want. The sky's the limit. What happens, because this is in us, is we tend to think that that's what God is like. That God works in these big, powerful, bombastic ways. And that's not even just that God does that. I mean, I do believe that life has those moments, that God has those moments. But we would say, this is the regular way that God wants to work. This is how God wants to be known in this world, is by these big moves of his dynamism and his authority. And not only that's how God works, but, but, but it creeps into us. And I think especially in our culture, in Western culture, in, 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 the, in the church uh, that finds itself in America, that, that often uh, takes on the cultural uh, mentality or the culture of America rather than the church bringing its culture to America, where, where our church finds itself situated in a historical, cultural context, we highlight the big moments. Think about whenever you were a kid growing up and think about um, uh, everybody going on, on summer vacation. And, and, and for us, it was we're going to have summer camps this year. And every year that we had summer camp, we're going to get to experience God. And she's like, yeah, you put all that time, energy, resources into a week of camp. You should experience God like that should happen. But what happens a lot of times is, is those are the moments that we're looking for. We're looking for these big moments where we can experience God or, or, or we're going to go on and we're going to have a church revival. We're going to have uh, some preachers come in and, and, and we're going to have a, a concentrated night and, and, and we're going to get the spirit of God. You know, we're going to get revived again and, and everybody y'all can connect with these ideas or, or not. Not only that, but this idea that like not only that God works in these big moments and that's where he really, really wants to work, but that's what God wants of you as well. Do you feel this? That God wants you to do something big and major and radical and dynamic. People, the way that people talk to me about me going to Ukraine was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you went to Ukraine. I'm like, I know I'm awesome, right? No, I'm like, to me, it's like you going to Ukraine was great, but, but we have to understand this. Like, is that more than me discipling my children for 18 years of their life and beyond? I mean, people will highlight guys who who can get up and teach and preach or who can, uh, you know, sing or who can, who, who can, who can, you know, who have the freedom to go travel and to, you know, evangelize the lost. And they go, oh man, that's where God's really working. And I've said this a lot of times in our congregation. I don't see myself on the front lines. I see you on the front lines. See, the people that I genuinely and typically interact with are for our Lord and they're for our church and they're for me and they are supportive and they're encouraging and if and, and, and what they might need is some support and encouragement but but it's not always contrary it's not always hostile but 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 you go to jobs where your boss doesn't sit there and go hey all the time I care about you your boss might go I care about your production and that's all that really matters and you think that they care about you and then they find out that they, they only care about your production and the second that you're not productive or profitable for them, 
you're gone. And so I see you on the front lines because you have to interact in that world and you have to go into that world and you have to live out the character of Christ in that world. So for me, it's never been like, oh man, like, you know, I, I love the honor. I mean, it's, it's sweet. It's, I get where it comes from, the honor that people give me as a pastor. But I'm always like, no, 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 no. It's misplaced. You deserve the honor for carrying the light with you each and every day. So all this comes to my heart, my mind, and it says, okay, is there a biblical framework? For which we see God, not only are we, we, we stop maybe expecting to only see God at work in the big dynamic ways. Or we stop even putting that expectation on ourselves that God's going like, I, I need you to do a little bit more. Come on, let's pick it up. You're not doing enough. It wasn't big enough. It wasn't bold enough. It wasn't daring enough. Is there a biblical framework for which we can see this? I believe that there is, as y'all can probably already tell. And uh, in the very first uh, kind of uh, key in on this, we're going to look at uh, uh, Psalm 19. We're going to look at a passage in Matthew, and we're going to look at a passage in Romans. But, 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 but I believe that there is, and um, sadly, my um, slide did not uh, fully um, update because I updated that slide. But... Um, I believe that there is, and here's where I think we first see it, is God's uh, work uh, in nature reveals that God works through rhythms, routines, and regularities. And Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, is a psalm where we can find this. Um, I do believe, uh, Brother Michael, if you will, I think I have the uh, passage of scripture up there. Um, this is the first time that I've ever done this, and I thought, man, this is going to be good, all right? So I put the passage of Scripture up there so y'all could follow along. Um, but, uh, but I also, I, and one of the reasons why I put this up there is because um, I, I wanted to use the NLT for this uh, passage because I think it says some things a little bit more, uh, a little bit more clearly, uh, gets at the, that the metaphor that the, that the psalm is using. But Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, it says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. Man, this sounds kind of big. It sounds bold. It sounds like the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Day after day, they do this. Well, here's the interesting thing. The psalmist is saying the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. But, but when we get to how the psalmist reveals that the Lord's glory his weight, his heaviness, that the world, not only his, his glory, his character, if you will, right? To, uh, what, 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 what can be known of God, who he is. Not only is this, but also that he's at work, that this is his craftsmanship. This is his handiwork. Whenever we get to what the psalmist says actually declares that, I want us to see it is kind of simply something that happens. And it just happens with regularity. And it happens with routine. And a lot of times, you and I don't even think about it happening because it just happens. And we don't have to think, is it not going to happen? Because it's always been happening. And so here's what he says. He says, they make you know, they, they, they do this. 
but they don't even speak with sound or word. And their voice is not even heard. But, yet, but guess what? Even though there's no sound, there's no audible message, the message has gone, out throughout, uh, gone throughout the whole earth and their words to the whole world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. So the sun is there and it has its home. This is how they're poetically imagining it. Now, if you go, well, that's not scientifically correct. We know that, uh, you know, the, the, the heavens not, uh, or that, that the sun doesn't have this house that it comes out of every morning. It's not a science textbook. It's a poem about creation and about how they observed creation before they knew all the things that we knew about creation. So let's just enjoy the poetry. He says, it's like the sun has a home. And every morning it burst forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. Y'all see that after his wedding? Like he has overjoyed. Like I've finally got my bride and we've been able to uh, consummate our relationship. And we are, we are loving life right now. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. It's an athlete stretching up and I'm ready to go. I've been training for this. I've been preparing for this. I am about to go. And where is this sun going to go? It's going to rise at one end of the heavens and it's going to follow its course to the other end. And nothing can hide from its heat. So he imagines the sun like a bridegroom, like a groom coming out of his bridal chambers and saying, yes, this is a new day. This is a new life. I am ready for it. Or like an athlete getting ready to run and he's going to run his course across the sky. So he is just talking about what? He's talking about the sun coming up and the sun going down. He's talking about the earth rotating around the sun and spinning on its axis as it does it. He's talking about something that happens every day and most days you and I don't even think about it. This is just the most routine thing that you can get at. And he says, and in this routine of the sun emerging from its home every morning, and following its course through the sky and settling itself each evening. In this, we see, it, he says, we get to see the glory of God. We get to see God's craftsmanship, his handiwork on display. And the most routine, mundane thing that you and I don't even think about because it happens and you and I don't even have to think if it's not going to happen, I see God's glory. So what glory does he see of God? Let's think about that. What does this testify of God? Would it not testify that God is timely? We can count on him. Would it not testify that God is trustworthy? We can rely on him. Right? Every day it happens. And every day we believe that it happens because God has designed it and ordered it thus and so. And since it has been happening and since it will continue to happen and you and I don't have to do anything to make it happen. 
What else does that tell us about God? Does that tell us that God's waiting for us to do some big, important stuff so that he'll send his son? Or does it say that God, just out of his trustworthiness, out of his reliability, out of his timeliness, out of his uh, you know, dependability, God, for just being who God is, is going to give us give us in this world what it needs each and every day. And you get that revealed. It sounds big. It sounds like the skies declare the name, the glory of the Lord. It's like, how does this happen? Because the sun comes up every day. And the sun goes down every day. And you see it, and it happens. So this, I believe, is a starting point, if you will, for a framework that tells us that nature reveals God at work in rhythms and routines and regularities. And that, yes, while God does do big, important, dynamic things in this world, if you really pay attention in the text and throughout the history of the world, they aren't, they're more few and far between than they are on the day-in, day-out basis. Think about Abraham's life. Abraham's life. Abraham met with God how many times? We have recorded in scripture like a handful of times. That means in between those times, we should assume and expect that Abraham is uh, whatever his his daily devotional life inquires. What we should also understand is this, is Abraham is living from one time saying, God gave me a promise that he was going to give me this land to the next time that he meets with God. And he says, hey, God, you promised that you were going to give me this land and that you were going to give me an heir. Is my heir Eleazar, my servant? And God says, no, it's not Eleazar, your servant. Okay, well, I'm going to continue trusting you until the next time he comes up and then finally gets to this point where Abraham is old and he's past the point of being able to bear children or conceive children. And his wife, he thinks, is way too old to bear children. And, 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 and then God says, hey, remember that promise? I'm going to make good on it. Think about the children of Israel. Like we always think about like the, the, the Exodus and Egypt and this big moment and these big moves. But for 400 years, they were in bondage. You can think about even like the, the, the big moments all throughout the Old Testament or even you come up to where there is this moment where they are taken away captive into Babylon. And some 70, 70 odd years later, they, they get to return to Jerusalem, but, but they do not see an end to exile. And there's another 400 years before God sends his son, Jesus. And then Jesus is here for 30 years. And then Jesus says, I'm coming back. And it's been 2,000. And so we know God works in big, dynamic ways. He can. He does. But if you really pay attention to history, that is not his normal mode of operation. His normal mode of operation seems to be in the mundane moments of our lives where you and I are called to rest upon his promises and trust in him and live as he's called us to live. Now, this is not only in the Psalms that we see this. We don't just see nature revealing God's 
character, God's trustworthiness, God's reliability. We not only see nature revealing that, 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 that this life that we have with God, this relationship with God that we have, is not a relationship built on you and I working and striving and toiling so that God does stuff for us, but it's this, this relationship that's built on God's grace. It's God's giving us everything that we need, whether you or I deserve it or not. The sun doesn't only come up on the righteous, the holy, the do-gooders. The sun comes up over everyone. It's grace. It's grace. It's God's grace. And that's what this relationship with this God is. It's a relationship wholly dependent on us, trusting that he is good, period. He provides, he sustains, he delivers, he will do it, not because you and I run through a bunch of uh, 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 rigors and, and not because we jump through a bunch of hoops, not because we do big dynamic things, but simply because God is a God who provides for his creation, period. He will give us what we need. We not only see this in Psalm, we see this in Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter number six, he, he's talking to us about, he's talking to his original disciples and we hear it as his, uh, as disciples now that he says, hey, listen, you can't trust God in mammon and, and you can't be so worried about like what you're wearing and, and where you're going to get your food. And, and we know that those are primary, those are primary needs in our lives, like food, clothing, shelter, like these are primary needs in our lives. And he says to like the most primary things, he goes, he goes you got to think about this. He goes, think about this. And he says, behold, the fowls of the air. Jesus points back to nature. He says, look at the birds and not, not the eagle, not the majestic eagle, not the golden falcon, the fowls, the sparrows, we might even say. Just the everyday, ordinary bird. Look at these birds that they are fed each and every day. Again, what is... Jesus showing God is trustworthy. He's reliable. God is timely. Whenever they need food, it's there. He's dependable. You can count on it. And then here's the other thing. It's a grace thing. What do the sparrows do to earn their meal? And he goes on beyond the, the sparrows. And uh, that was in uh, verse number 26 and verse number 28, he says, consider the lilies of the field. Again, this is not some beautiful flower. Think about your most favorite flower. My favorite flower is the hibiscus. Some of y'all like tulips. Some of y'all like sunflowers. Whatever your favorite flower is, this is not your favorite flower. This is just like a weedy flower. It's a natural growing flower. It's like whenever you're driving along the highway and you see the flowers that are on the side of the highway that you would never have in a bouquet sitting on your table unless your five-year-old son collected them and said, Mommy, I got a bouquet of flowers for you. Then you would go, this is a precious flower. But other than that, you would just go, it's not even really a flower. It's a weed. And Jesus says, consider these. Again, look to nature and see that God here provides for them they are even the even the most blah, mundane ordinary regular flower is arrayed more beautifully than solomon and solomon was wealthy he was rich in his time period he says if god will provide for them 
and they don't have to work for it, then what does that tell us? We look to nature and nature reveals to us that God is at work in just providing for us on a daily basis. And what it reveals to us is that God, again, is trustworthy and he's timely. And what does it also reveal? That this relationship that we are brought into with God, that this relationship that has always been, it's, it's really, it's not just a relationship that you're brought into, it's a relationship that you have to recognize. This is the relationship. God functions on grace. He just gives us what we need. He just provides for us what we need. The only ones who are messing that up are you and me. He's not messing that up. God's not sitting there going to the lily. Hey, lily, if you spin and you twirl and you dance, I will dress you. He just says, hey, lily, you're beautiful. Here's your beautiful petals. Here's your beautiful leaves. And the last passage of scripture that we will look at this morning is Romans chapter number one. We should all be very familiar with. And Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Why is this wrath of God revealed? And if y'all want to know what the wrath of God is, you got to jump down a little bit later to verse number 24. The wrath of God is God giving them up to their desires. That's how Paul envisions it. The wrath of God is not God coming in with lightning bolts and thunderbolts and lightning. Everybody frightening God. No, that's not God's wrath. God's wrath is saying, okay, I'm going to let you go do that thing that's dangerous for you. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to give you every out that there is, but ultimately I'm not going to physically stop you. I'm not going to rewire your brain or your heart. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm just going to try to beg and plead with you. And I'm going to send wise counselors your way to stop you. I'm going to send prophets and priests and preachers. And, and I'm going to send little old ladies who are just faithful servants in the church who, who are on their knees praying for you. I'm going to do everything that I can, but I will not. I will not stop you. Paul says that, if you want to understand, is the real wrath of God. Think about it this way. It's like a parent telling a child, don't go out into the street. And then the child goes out into the street and the parent can't get to them, can't stop them. Or if the parent just says, well, I told them not to go out to the street. Paul says, if you want to think about wrath, that's what wrath is. But he says, verse number 19, why is the wrath revealed? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. Verse number 20, for the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And here's why. So the point being nature reveals God at work. 
and we would say in the rhythms and the routines and the regularities, but nature reveals God at work and it reveals who God is, as Psalm 19 says. It doesn't just tell you that there is a God, it tells you that the type of God that there is, the character of God that there is. And here's what should be known of God is that God is trustworthy, that he's reliable, that he's timely, that he's dependable, that you can count on him. But also should tell you that, that God is a God who sits there and he operates on grace. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. He just provides it because he is good. However, every idol and every idolatry and every religion and every religiosity functions on this false precept that you have to work to earn God's goodness. So you should know from creation, from the very way nature works, that you don't have anything to do with nature working or not working. You should know that God is a God of grace. But you and I, and countless others throughout the ages, always seem to find ourselves thinking, God wants me to do something big, bold, daring, dangerous, so that I can earn something from God. And nature has revealed to us, no, God just wants you to be and he wants you to live in relation to him and living in relation to him most, most firmly gets established when you understand I am living with a God who provides, period. Not because of me, but because of him. Not because of anything I've done, but because of who he is. His glory is revealed in this. That the sun comes up every morning and you didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to get on a bicycle and spin the wheels and make that thing go across the sky. Right? You didn't have to charge up a nuclear plant to get the sun in its course. So here's the text that we have that reveal to us. These provide a framework for us that nature reveals that God is at work and he's not just at work in creation, but he's in, at work in the rhythms and the routines and the regularities. And so a couple things. For one, let's pay attention to nature a little bit this week. When you're looking for God to be at work or maybe you're going, God, are you still at work? Might you just remember, did the sun come up this morning? Did a new day dawn? God, you're faithful. And not only, God, are you faithful, are you dependable, are you reliable, are you trustworthy? You, I can count on you for the sun coming up today. Thank you, God. But you can also go, God, I didn't have to do a thing to make that sun come up, did I? You're good, God. You are gracious. I, I, truth be told, the things that I did should cause the sun not to rise on me today. Right? Truth be told, I've done some things that I don't deserve the sun. I don't deserve the rain, right? We've been wanting rain. We finally got a little bit of rain. I don't deserve the rain. But you give the sun and you give the rain. I don't deserve to be fed like a sparrow. I don't deserve to be clothed like a lily. But yet here I am, you have provided. Thank you, God. 
not only have you provided for me physically, but God, as I see that you just, you just give this earth what it needs, you give your creation what it needs, not because your creation works for you, but because you provide for it, because you're good. You've given me what I need in your son, Jesus. Because Jesus reveals to us that this is not what can you do for God, but it's do you see all that God has done for you? For this world. And Jesus says, if you don't see it from what I'm saying, then see it in my life. God is giving himself for you. That is who he is. So my brothers and my sisters, as we get back to routines and rhythms and regularities and disciplined order and, uh, and, and maybe we find ourselves in the grind of things, we can be assured of this, that God is as much at work in that as he is whenever we travel across the seas on mission. He's as much at work in you, in your daily life. Here's the deal, though, and this is the thing that we have to remember about that psalm. That psalm says, you see it, it speaks a message, but it's not spoken. So, Jesus said, sometimes let those who have ears to hear, hear. But also, he said, let those who have eyes to see, see. And for us to see these things about God in nature or for us to see these things about God in our life, we have to have our eyes open and be seeking those things. I think about what Paul says in Colossians, set your affections on things which are above. Seek those things which are above. And this week, you have an opportunity to testify with your life and with your mouth to people who live in a world who go, man, maybe God only works in the big and I'm looking for God to work in the big and you have to show them no God works each and every day in the mundane. Or maybe there's, these, there's people who go, God really wants something of me and you go, no, 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 God, God does it all for you. We have an opportunity to live as these witnesses and to speak as these witnesses. And so I encourage you and I pray for you as you go that we will live and reveal in our lives, sometimes with speaking, sometimes just with our actions, what nature reveals of God. And with that, I say, amen. Uh, Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word uh, speaks against our impulses. Our impulses want to say, oh, I got to be doing more and I got to be doing bigger and I got to be doing better. And your word comes in and says, hey, don't you remember that I work, period? I don't work because you work. My work is of grace. It's a gift. It's your own self-motivated work, Lord God. Thank you for it. Thank you for revealing it to us through nature, through scripture, through your son, Jesus, Lord, through, through faithful servants throughout the ages. Lord, thank you for revealing the truth of who you are. 
God, I pray that you'd be with us, that not only would we be reminded and captivated and reestablished upon the truth of who you are, but Lord, might we, might we strive to be like nature this week, and might we be the ones who say, I want people to see God at work in me. And we understand that that doesn't mean because we do these big, bold, daring things, but maybe just the small, regular, thankless even things, Lord. Uh, We'll explore more about that next week. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would please... uh, As you speak to my brothers and my sisters, I pray that you would meet with us in this time as we talk to you. Uh, I pray these things in Christ's name. I'm going to invite you all just for a few moments just to talk to God about what God's talking to you about. Maybe you just need to celebrate him and praise him. You just need to say, God, thank you for being who you are. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you've gotten into the place to where you think, man, I need to, I need to be doing more. And the, the enemy is hounding you and saying, what are you not doing enough? And God's not going to be pleased with you and satisfied with you. And you need to go, God, thank you for your grace. It's grace, grace, all is your grace. Whatever it is that God's talking to you about, you talk to him about. And then in a few moments, Brother Mitch will... Dismiss us with our closing song. Let's stand up together this morning.